Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel to New York City again and we're going to talk to Tech Block and she is a co-founder of Spade, which is a fintech company providing its customers with enriched data related to payments. So we'll find out more what does that mean, but they're backed by Andreessen Horowitz, for example, and many other famous VCs. So hopefully we, we think that they know what they're doing, right? And that's why we would like to find out more. What does that mean, enriched data? So when you go and shop with your credit card, of course, you get some sort of statements, right? But it's very hard sometimes to even figure out if you are a shopper, like what is this company, right? They use a different trading name and different uh, legal entity name. And uh, there's not enough detail. And then if there is enough detail, then it's somewhere else and it's all fragmented. So how can Spade uh, help us with all that? Uh, We'll find out today. So welcome, Tess. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. How did you get to do what you do today? What's your backstory? Absolutely. So I started my career in fintech pretty early on. Uh, As a freshman at Stanford, I heard about a cool new app called Venmo. I emailed them and I somehow talked my way into an internship. I loved the industry. I loved the problem space. And I ended up returning to intern for them sophomore summer and then took time off to work there full time. After college, I wanted to get broader experience and exposure to later stage companies, so I moved to London to work as a consultant at McKinsey for two years. I focused on payments, public and social sector, and private equity work. After McKinsey, I took a brief detour into politics, a personal passion of mine. I actually moved from London to a corn farm in Iowa to work as a field organizer on a 2020 Democratic primary campaign. After the campaign, I came home to New York and returned to my passion for fintech and startups as well. So I joined a leading income and employment connectivity API called Pinwheel, where I started out as chief of staff and then became head of operations. I spent two years there, helped scale the team from 10 to 100, and then met my two co-founders at Spade, uh, who were really looking to tackle a problem I'd seen throughout my career in fintech, which was the poor quality of transaction data and the lack of merchant intelligence really getting in the way of innovation. So I joined them to help build the business on the commercial operations side and to bring real-time merchant intelligence to the card ecosystem. Wonderful. So I always like to talk about these things in plain English. Uh, A lot of people think that life is a competition in buzzwords, and that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to explain to people who may not be close to it whether this makes sense for them or not, for whatever reason, they might be interested in working with you or for you or investing in you, etc. So You said lack of merchant intelligence. What does that mean? What problem are you trying to solve? Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone who has looked at their credit and debit card statements recognizes that transaction data is really messy, right? It lacks a lot of the clarity and the context that you need a consumer as a consumer to understand your spend. It can be strings of letters and numbers. It can be messy. For example, something like 
SBX1256. That's actually Starbucks, right? And it's really tough to tell as a consumer uh, where you've actually spent your money. Uh, and shockingly, your bank actually doesn't know that much more than what they're showing you. And so what that means is they're making decisions about whether to approve or decline your transactions. They're building products without that kind of critical information about the merchant that you're actually spending at linked to a transaction. And that really gets in the way of innovation. And it also gets in the way of you as a consumer taking control of your finances. So let's put some numbers around it as well. Why is it worth solving? Let's say that People would like to have it. People would like to know that this was Starbucks, full name, not SPX, but are they willing to pay for it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 2 billion credit card transactions are processed every day on infrastructure that hasn't changed since the 1960s. And I think we all know that when progress has stagnated for that long, it means there's an infinite amount of businesses and consumers who can really benefit from innovation. Uh, it's not just about improving UI UX. I think really thinking about the high value use cases that this enables, one is fraud. And having your card declined unnecessarily is, or having money stolen from you is an experience that pretty much every consumer can unfortunately relate to. It's one that costs the card ecosystem upwards of $443 billion every year is card declines. Uh, and that isn't even actually including the cost of real fraudulent transactions. And so we're really helping our financial institutions tackle one of their most salient pain points. And also as a consumer, what I feel is a very salient pain point. I always like to say I've worked in fintech for a while now at some really popular consumer apps. And this is the first business I've worked at and my parents really understand and are just incredibly excited about. They text me to help them interpret the strings of text on their credit card statements all the time. And also they they tell me stories and their friends tell them stories about not recognizing charges on their transactions and reaching out to banks or having a bank approve a transaction hundreds of miles away from where they're located. And so the pain is real for consumers and the cost is real for financial institutions. So before we go further, let's clarify this. Who are your key clients? Are you a B2B or B2C business or B2BC? With the exception of my parents, we are a B2B business. Our customers include leading names like Mercury, Ramp, Unit, Sardine, and other financial institutions. And excited to announce some of those coming soon. But we're really excited to be helping the innovators and builders solve these problems for their customers. All right. What's your solution? What's your unique selling point of that solution? So we took a, a bit of a unique approach to solving this problem. I would say the typical approach is really to try and cleanse the transaction string that you see on your card statement, often using machine learning, and extract information about where the transaction is located. This can be unreliable. It, it can also be slow when you're using machine learning. Think about comparing the speed of something like ChatGPT versus something like Google. And it also limits the granularity of information provided, right? Because you're only looking at what came through in the statement. Reducing the ability for people to use this data for high-value use cases like fraud decisioning and the auth flow when a bank has two seconds to decide whether to approve or decline a transaction. So what we did is we actually built a proprietary ground truth database covering nearly 100% of merchants across the U.S. And when our customers send us transactions, what we're doing is basically searching our database and matching those transactions to a real merchant identity in real time. So 99% of the time, we return this information in less than 40 milliseconds. So very much well within the authorization window, and our customers can actually use the data because they know it's linked to this real merchant identity, and they get it fast enough to use it for decisioning. 
All right, but you said this infrastructure has been around since the 60s, right? So one example is VisaNet, and then MasterCard has another one, Amex has another one. It's always the same system with four parties, right? And these credit card companies, they make money of charging everybody, basically. But they also have uh, consulting services, and they call it maybe merchant intelligence services or consulting for merchants and things like this. How are you different from those incumbent solutions? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I think those incumbent solutions are are really valuable and they definitely have a place in the ecosystem, Um, but they're often for very different use cases, right? In large part because they are are much slower. I think a lot of those take about four seconds to return responses, two to four seconds. And so that means they can't necessarily be used in the authorization window the same way we can when we're looking at something like 40 milliseconds. Um, It's also our core business, right? Like we are a data company. That's what we're here to do. It's the problem we're here to solve. And that's very different from being a payments company. And so we spend a lot of time doing the work to build this merchant database, to QA it, to ensure it's high quality, and to keep it up to date in a way that the networks aren't necessarily doing. And also pulling in different and unique data sources and incredible technical talent to maintain and build that database. And so I think there are definitely there's definitely value of working with the card networks and, and using those solutions, but there's also value in, in working with us for a slightly different approach. I see. I see. All right. So you build the proprietary database of all the merchants. What about the tech angle? Everybody likes to throw in AI into everything these days, right? So is there an AI behind this or is it just you and your 20 colleagues uh, going through this in less than four, four milliseconds or 40 milliseconds? Yeah, so we are, I would love to say we could operate that quickly as individuals in less than 40 milliseconds, but it's tech driven, right? So we've built a system that one, a a very powerful database that can be accessed and searched within that time frame, and two, a very kind of advanced searching methodology that sort of, I would think of it as taking the unique fingerprint of a transaction and matching it to a merchant identity very quickly. One of our biggest differentiators is we actually don't use AI or machine learning within the authorization window, right? You can't really do that within 40 milliseconds. However, it's an incredibly powerful technology and we absolutely do leverage it when building and QAing our merchant database. We're just doing that work ahead of time uh, and using it to improve data quality, to improve results without relying on it at the time of authorization. And one thing I would call out is that really does make us and our system incredibly reliable because this is not a black box where you can't track the approach or you might see hallucinations. We we have a fully auditable system. Each time it'll return the same result. And that's hugely valuable for, for our financial institution customers who need to know exactly what they're delivering to their customers. I see. I see. All right. Now, one more follow-up question on this, though. You said you do it so quickly. That just reminds me of uh, trading issues when uh, some companies, they obviously are algo traders and they wanted to co-locate, right? So they wanted to be as close as possible to the exchanges so that they avoid latency. So how do you communicate so quickly? What sort of wires or cables are needed for this? Yeah, so we are an API solution. And what we've done is we've actually built out instances on both West and East Coast servers. So our customers access the server that's closest to theirs. There's no wiring, nothing to plug in at the moment. And so we are really just focused on reducing our latency when the data arrives in our system to when we send it back, and then reducing the network latency as well by having server instances on servers across the country. All right, so it's basically over the internet, right? All right. But if I'm somewhere in the middle of the desert, 
and I have a POS terminal, then I need internet to be able to use your solution, right? So our customers aren't the merchants, they're the banks and fintechs. And so those banks and fintechs, they are accessing our data from their servers, calling our API from there. And so you'd never have that issue of being in the middle of the desert and not having that internet connectivity as a bank. Obviously, if you're a consumer and you're looking at the the charge on your statement, that might take some time to load. Uh, But that means like the whole thing would take time to load, if that makes sense. All right. Okay. All right. Understood. You also hinted that this enriched data is critical for credit card prevention or credit card fraud prevention, right? So tell us more about this. Uh, Why is it important? If I know that it was Starbucks and not SPX, maybe that's not an airline, but it's a coffee shop, etc., or it's not a fraudulent e-shop. I know it may sound obvious, but let's just walk through the use case here and why why is it needed? Yeah, absolutely. So financial institutions know a lot about the consumer on one side of the transaction, right? They have your credit score. They might have device intelligence and know where your phone is. They see your transaction history. But what they are missing is the equally important information on the merchant involved in the transaction, right? The jumbled strings of letters and numbers tell you very little about that. And maybe you see Amazon on the statement, but you don't necessarily have a comprehensive database that tells you what category Amazon is or where this Walmart is located. And that becomes especially difficult at the long tail merchants, right? The small mom and pop shops, the stores that have just opened. Banks have very little visibility about kind of the details about those merchants. And so making an informed decision about whether to approve or decline a transaction is incredibly difficult when you only have half the picture. And so that means in some cases missing fraudulent transactions. So for example, a transaction that's happening at a high-risk merchant or on a stolen card. And it means declining valid transactions from a, a risk perspective. And Spade's real-time merchant intelligence really helps solve this problem. So in less than 40 milliseconds, as mentioned, we match this transaction to a real merchant identity. And we'll give you everything from a clean name, a logo, a website, to an accurate category. I think the, the card networks rely on what's called MCC codes, which are their categorization system. But these are often quite broad and can be inaccurate. For example, Amazon transactions are still categorized as bookshops transactions. Um, We'll even give you a consistent identifier for each location of a merchant uh, and an exact geolocation down to the latitude and longitude for where physical transactions are happening. Um, And I want to emphasize that we do this in real time, right? It's really critical that we're able to deliver in in this less than 40, 50 milliseconds because that means that data can be used in the authorization flow to actually prevent fraud instead of just detecting it after the fact by doing the work later on, potentially manually, potentially with slower systems to identify the merchant involved. And so our customers use this data to authorize more transactions and improve fraud model performance by over 15%. So I just want to get like granular here and provide some examples. So for example, we can flat we our customers use our data to flag high risk categories like gambling or casinos uh, and flag high risk merchants, maybe ones they've seen a lot of chargebacks at using our proprietary identifiers and category system. They can also do things like compare the location of a consumer's phone to the location of a merchant at the time of a transaction to identify when a card's been stolen, right? Or to even identify when a user is claiming fraud, but actually made that transaction. So there's a ton of really innovative and valuable use cases that can be made to help consumers to help banks approve more accurate transactions and decline more fraudulent ones. 
But all of these were related to fighting fraud. So that's an obvious one. And number one, I get that. But I understand there are more use cases for merchant intelligence beyond that, right? Yeah, 100%. And I would say this is one of the most fun parts about building a data product. We're constantly seeing new applications of our data. And it's so fun talking to customers and hearing about the unique ways they're going to use it to build better products and services. Uh, I would say there are two buckets that I would put the use cases into. The first is pre-authorization. So before a decision is made to approve or decline a transaction. And the second is post-authorization to use it afterwards to do things like build more innovative experiences. Uh, pre-authorization, we talked about fraud, but one other use case we're really excited about is thing called what I call spend controls. For example, locking cards to certain categories, merchants, or locations. Uh, a very typical use case is someone like a corporate card issuer who wants to lock cards to, for example, a certain merchant or a certain category. But as mentioned, if the category, say Amazon's a bookshop, that creates some challenges, right? So Spades data can really help you do that more effectively. But there are also some broader applications that we've heard about. So for example, a parent issuing a child a debit card and wanting to limit the categories at which they spend or lock to certain merchants, or even someone who maybe had a New Year's resolution and wanted to do more budgeting and set limits on their own spend on certain categories or merchants. And then post-authorization, there's also tons of exciting stuff here. So everything from improving UI UX on transaction feeds to reducing disputes and then empowering support agents to more accurately handle them in a shorter time frame uh, with that granular information to improving your rewards attribution. So making sure people actually get rewarded for their spend. I, I'm sure everyone has an had an experience where they don't get a reward that they were expecting. And even doing things like more robust cardholder analysis for cross-sell and upsell. I see. Amazing. All right. So yes, upsell and cross-sell, that's key. <laughs> also, when you talk about your own product, right? Well done. Now, you talked about who your key clients are, etc. But what has the feedback from the customers been like? How long have you been at this? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really exciting that the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I think bad transaction data has been getting in the way of people building for so long. And it's not exactly what a lot of engineers want to spend their time on when they're trying to build products for consumers. And it's just real appreciation for us making their lives easier and helping them deliver on the promises they've made to their customers and to their investors. And I think the thing that makes me most proud is that we're not just getting positive feedback on our technology, but also on our team and how we're engaging with customers. When you're a B2B fintech like us, it's critical to be a trusted partner. We know we're helping make some critical decisions and we need to be responsive, to be collaborative, and that's exactly what we're doing. So we answer questions quickly and in depth. We engage with customers and do brainstorms on new applications. If an issue is identified, we resolve it quickly and communicate. And I think that's something that's been incredibly important to us to keep a really high standard there. And I'm proud that, that we've been able to deliver on that, even with a small team. Wonderful. So let's talk about your team as well, because I know that you recently uh, raised uh, a round, right? What are your plans going forward for expansion? Are you hiring? Are you doing anything else? Do you want to buy somebody? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I know you wouldn't say. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> 
first of all, I want to say we are really appreciative of the investors who who believed in us and the continued support from people like A16Z and Grady and YC who participated in this round as well as our seed round. And we're thrilled to have Flourish Ventures on board as our lead for our Series A. We're really excited to use this round to grow the team and support continued development of our merchant intelligence products. We are looking to expand. Right now, our coverage is US only, so we'll be doing some international expansion and also investing in building out our data science and go-to-market functions a little bit more. That being said, I think it's important to, to call out, like we all have seen the dangers of growing too quickly. And so we're really being thoughtful about how we spend this money and making sure that we're scaling the team and investments responsibly. I see. All right. But what are your plans for expansion and scaling it up? If you can share at least a bit of a hint of what what's ahead. Yeah, sure. In terms of team growth, in terms of product. Yeah, for example, or, or will we see you abroad as well outside of the US? Yes, definitely. So we're currently doing development work to understand the highest priority geographies, but we will absolutely be expanding outside of the US. So that's definitely something to keep an eye out. I think on the product side, one thing we're really excited about is right now we primarily provide factual information about the merchants uh, involved in a transaction, but we're really starting to lean into being able to use the data that we've we have in our database to provide proprietary insights about a merchant. For example, we just launched in beta that we're going to be having a flag for merchants with risky web presence and really continuing to invest in allowing our customers to make better decisions using the insights from our data. And then we currently are hiring a data scientist and we'll be opening a customer success and product operations role shortly as well. So always love to hear from people who are interested in enjoying joining the team and helping us build. Wonderful. So before I let you go, I just have two easy questions for you. So first of all, what's your favorite business book? If you have any, sometimes people say, my field, everything changes so quickly. I just have to be on Twitter or X. I cannot read. But then there are some books out there who say that we are becoming so fragmented in our attention and reading print media is important. Whichever camp you belong to, if you could let us know how you learn. Yeah, definitely the second camp. I'm a big reader. I do love Twitter, but I think my favorite business book would be Scaling People by Claire Hughes Johnson, which just has really great tactical advice that you can apply immediately. And it, it comes from an incredible operator. So I recommend it to to everyone, whether you are in an early stage startup, a mid-stage startup, or just thinking about joining one, getting a sense of what it would be like. All right, wonderful. So I'll put the notes into the show notes and uh, hopefully people will check it out. Now, one last question, therefore, what's the best way for people to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most? Yeah, absolutely. So people can find me on LinkedIn or email me at tests at spade.com. And I think we always love to hear from people who are interested in building and using our product. So that's what excites me, but also always interested in hearing from people who are looking to collaborate or looking to joining the team. So if you are interested, if anything I've said resonates, please don't hesitate to reach out. Wonderful. So thank you so much, Tess, and good luck to you and Spade. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.